to the church that we should not seek worldly wisdom, but spiritual wisdom. We're going to take it section by section. We're going to actually go through the entire chapter today, chapter 3. So follow along with me when we look at this first few verses. It says, But I, brothers, cannot address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I feed you with milk, not with solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now, you are not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy, jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, are you not being your human? Let's stop there for a moment. Because man, is Paul not throwing slugs at this moment? Shots are being fired by Paul. He's just beating up the body of the church. He just is driving in the net at this point. Brothers and sisters of Corinth, I can't address you as spiritual people. Again, we've been talking about this idea of the natural man and the spiritual man. The man of the flesh and the man of the spirit. And he says, church, I can't talk to you today. Jealousy and strife among you. Jealousy to be uh, jealous or to to covet what others have, what you do not have. And as a result of that jealousy, you have strife. You have uh, conflict in your life. If these are among you, are you not of that flesh and behaving only in a human way, he says. It's interesting. A lot of us here today are thinking, Paul, duh, right? People are going to act like people. If we, we know it's true, right? If it, if it looks like a duck, if it walks like a duck, and it quacks like a duck, it's probably a duck, right? Paul back here in this moment, quack, quack, right? You're human. You're living in the flesh. He's calling them out. And then he brings up Apollos again. He brought up Apollos in chapter 1, for those of us who were here a few weeks back. He says, some say, I follow Paul. Another says, I follow Apollos. Are you not being merely human? Aren't you just behaving like people? 
like fleshly people. He is not holding back. And he calls them out on their tribalism that we see in the church of Corinth. And honestly, if we're, if we're honest with ourselves today, we see it a lot today. Especially in the, in the broader culture. Tribalism. This camp versus that camp. He says, you've lifted up these two individuals, one of them being me. And Paulus, Apollos, who was this very eloquent speaker, according to Acts chapter uh, 18, apparently he was a very eloquent man. He could speak and communicate in a, in a, in a very uh, efficient and effective way. And he says, you've lifted us up to have this team versus that team. And that's when Paul begins to really drive the nail into the tribalism that he sees in verse 5. Follow along with me. It says this. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted Apollos water, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. God's building. Let's stop there for a second. So Paul asked two intriguing questions. What then is Paul? What then is Apollos? Right? He asked these interesting questions. Or rather he's asking, who are these guys that you've elevated up to almost becoming idols? Who are these people and Paul answers his question. He doesn't give them a chance to respond. Don't you hate it when people do that? Jamie says I do it all the time. I'm like, hey, guess what happened? And I'll tell her all the time. She's like, Jordan, stop. Why do you even ask me that question to guess, right? <laughs> who is Apollos? Who is Paul? Servants. The Greek word he uses here is diakonos, which we get the English word deacon, which means to be a servant in the ministry. He says, we are nothing but servants. Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. We're nothing but servants, he says. And yet you've elevated us servants to be placed on these pedestals. And you've created this tribalism. You have this huge gap. You have this division in the church because you've allowed this worldly influence to infiltrate the church. What are you guys doing? And he gives a very interesting analogy. I love it. In verse 6, he says, I planted Apollos water. He gives an image of, of a plant or a gardening or, or a farming, right? He says, I planted the seed, and that's what Paul did, right? You look at, at Acts 18. He goes to Corinth as an apostle, and he establishes a church. He's the church planter, right? He gets the ball rolling. And then Apollos comes, who's an eloquent communicator. Paul goes on, plants other churches. Paul, Apollos is sent to Corinth, and he helps water the church through teaching and preaching. But who gives the growth? Notice that phrase, but God. But God gave the growth. I, I love this image that he creates. If you kind of drive it down, he's essentially saying... You know, he says, 
So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything. We are nothing. We are just the cheap labor that did what we were supposed to do. And yet you've elevated us. Paul essentially says, right, I didn't create the soil. I didn't create the seed. Apollos didn't create water that he used to sprinkle or to, to, to bring growth to the, to, the, to the seed, to the plant, right? Like, like going a little bit of chemistry today, right? Some of you didn't know we're going to have a chemistry class. Paul, uh, Apollos didn't take the two hydrogen molecules and combine it with the oxygen molecule to make H2O, right? We didn't do anything. We just did what we were supposed to do. But God gave the growth. Kind of goes back to uh, chapter 1 and chapter 2 when Paul says, you know, I'm not going to speak in eloquent words or else I'm going to rob the cross of his, uh, I'm going to empty the cross of his power, right? Because it's Christ that saves, it's the Spirit that saves, God alone, right? By faith alone in Christ. But he doesn't diminish what they did to nothing. He's essentially just saying here in this moment, we, what we did is good, but when you compare it to what God does, it doesn't matter. But notice in verse 8, he says, He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. It's a good thing that we did what we were supposed to do. We did our jobs. It's kind of, I, I kind of picture him being sarcastic in this moment. Okay, good. Pat in the bag. What, what do I want? A cookie? Right? Like, I, I'm going to get my wages. I'm going to get my reward, but it's not going to be from man, he says. The Lord will give me my reward. And let me just clarify so everybody's on the same page. There's no misconstruing this statement. He is not talking about salvation. When he says, each will receive his reward. Both are already saved. What he's talking about is kind of like this crown, or his gem and his crown, right? He says, each will receive his reward from the Lord. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. And he gives another beautiful illustration of a building as the church. We're going to look at it in verse 10. Follow along with me. It says this, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Like, let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. There's a lot here. Verse 10, he says, God has given me the grace, essentially, like a skilled master builder. The Greek word here, we actually get the English word from this Greek word, master builder. We get the English word architect. God has given me the opportunity, the grace, to be like an architect. 
makes me think about the Imago Day that, that we all share with God, right? The image of God. We are created in His image. The way that God is the great architect, we have the opportunity to be little architects ourselves. He says, I laid a foundation. I planted the church, right? He's, he's using the illustration of a building now instead of uh, instead of a farming metaphor. He's using a building metaphor. He says, I laid a foundation. I was the church planter. I got things going, right? I got the ball rolling. And someone else is building upon that foundation. But it's all still one building is essentially what he's saying. Everybody's name is going to get a chance to get on the plaque in really small print, right? But the big name at the top is going to be who? God. He's the one that's helped everything start. Notice the language that he uses. He says, let each one take care how he builds upon it, upon this foundation. He says, essentially, make sure that you are careful in what you're building upon this foundation. Make sure you are cautious. Make sure you are planning. You are properly building. What happens if you lay or if you build a, a, a feeble frame on top of a solid foundation? What's going to happen eventually? The building's going to come down, right? No matter how firm that foundation is, if the building is weak, you think about the three little pigs, right? I huff, I'm going to come and huff, I'm going to huff. Life comes and huffs and puffs, right? You build it in straw or, or sticks, the house is coming down. Paul says, be careful what you build upon this foundation. But I love this illustration, this illustration that we see in a bunch of Paul's letters, especially Ephesians. He says, Let no one, or no, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. He, he is essentially alluding to this illustration that he uh, kind of fleshes out in detail in the book of Ephesians. Jesus is the cornerstone. Now today in, in modern uh, building architecture and engineering and stuff like that. We Cornerstones are kind of commemorative. They're not necessarily uh, foundational. But in biblical days, the cornerstone in, in, in masonry building, the cornerstone was the first stone that was laid in which everything else was uh, predicated upon that one stone. Everything. The whole building depended upon the, the way that stone was laid, the way, the direction that stone was facing, the level that it was at, everything predicated upon that stone. And Paul says, this building is predicated upon Jesus Christ. It's interesting. What he says in verse 12. Now if anyone builds on that foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw. He gives a spectrum of building materials, right? It's interesting the way he lays it out. It gets from uh, more valuable to least valuable, right? I, 
Another way to think of this spectrum is, man, my, my grandmother in Mexico, man, she used to be the best cook. Man, she could cook the best Mexican food ever. On a scale of Mexican food from my grandmother to Taco Bell, right? This is the spectrum that, that he laid, right? And Taco Bell's good, right? But it ain't my grandmother's cooking, right? Like, it's this spectrum that Paul lays out. Gold to straw. And I'll be honest, I, at first I didn't really understand. I grew up with animals and uh, kind of on a little bit of ra a little ranch. I had no idea there was a difference between straw and hay. I kind of used those words synonymous. Straw is least or more uh, in value, or hay is more valuable than straw because hay can be food for animals. Straw is just the leftover waste that is essentially just used to, for animals to lay on. So he creates this spectrum of building materials. And he says, each one's work will become manifest. That is, it will be revealed for that day. And he, when he says, you're, maybe the, the D and day is capitalized in your version. When he's saying day, he's referring to that faithful day that we're all waiting when Jesus comes back. He says, that day will disclose it, will reveal it, will manifest it, your work that is. Because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each has done. So what is he talking about here? He's essentially saying, guys, build something that lasts. I think, church, I'll be honest, I think we've been spoon-fed spoon fed this lie that all we have to do is believe in Jesus. And we, once we get that ticket, you know, to heaven, all we have to do is just go to the bus station or the bus stop, right? We have our ticket. We can just sit there and wait for the bus to come. We don't have to do anything else. We're just going to sit here and wait. But that is not what we see in Scripture. We are little architects. We are called to bring the kingdom of heaven here, right? The kingdom of heaven has, our kingdom of heaven has come. We are supposed to continue that kingdom. Amen. It matters what you do today. Some of us have been spoon-fed this lie to believe that we got our ticket. It doesn't matter what type of life I've lived. I've been saved by the blood. James, Paul's contemporary, says, faith without works are dead. It matters what type of building we're establishing on this foundation. Because it will be revealed. Right? Now, let me clarify again. What we build does not save us. The foundation has been laid. But what we can build can help be used by God to maybe save others. It can make a difference in this world today. And so he's essentially asking, what are you building? Are you building something with gold? Or are you building something with straw? He says it will be revealed. And he says, if the work that has any, or if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. And again, he's not talking about salvation. He's talking about that gem in your crown. 
And he says, if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Again, he or she is already saved by the blood. The foundation has been laid in the heart of Jesus Christ. But only through fire. That is testing, right? You think about what fire does to gold. It purifies it, right? Or any type of precious metal. It will purify it. You think about a refinery. Um, the, the metal is heated up and all the impurities will go up to the top. And what the, the person doing the refining will allow it to cool and then he will scrape or he or she will scrape off the impurities at the top and then do it all over again. Paul keeps going in verse 16. It says, he asks a very pointed question. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. He asks an interesting question. He's like, do you, are you not aware? You should be aware. But do you not know? And it, that word you is plural. You all, or for those of us in Texas, right? We're in Texas. Y'all. Do you not know that y'all are God's temple? Are you not aware? Has this not really sunk into you guys yet? You are God's temple. And the Spirit of God dwells in you. It's interesting. Verse 17, he says, if anyone destroys God's temple, that word destroy can also mean corrupt. If anybody destroys or corrupts God's temple, God will destroy him. Ouch, man. What we see Paul identifying or highlighting is the value, the intrinsic value that God has placed on the church. In other words, Paul is saying here, there is value in corporate worship. There is value in community of like-minded believers. There is value in believers coming together to form the body, the field, the temple. There is value there. Christ would not have died for the church if there wasn't value there. Young people, I hope you're listening to this. Because, I'll be honest, my generation, we are the worst at believing that you can be spiritual and apart from the body. Maybe. Maybe you can. But, I grew up in a single home, right? My mom managed, she did the best she could. She did a good job. I'd like to think so, right? But, but, that's not the way it was intended to be. God didn't design the family unit that way. You can maybe get away with having a relationship with God, and, uh, but man, it's so much easier to be a part of a body of like-minded believers. Iron sharpens iron, right? Paul says, are you not aware that you are God's temple? And anybody who destroys this said temple will be destroyed. You think about the context that Paul writes these words. He's writing to a church that is being divided. And he's calling them out. He's saying, guys, if you're gossiping, 
If you're being divisive, if you're putting your preference before the body, if you're placing anything about you before your brothers and sisters in Christ, you're either trying to destroy it or you're trying to corrupt it. And you're going to be destroyed. What does Jesus say to Peter? The gates of hell will not prevail against it, the church. You are this building. You are this field that has the spirit dwelling within it. Essentially, he's saying, start acting like it. He finishes off this chapter in verse 15. He says, Let no one deceive himself. For if anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, He catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, and they are futile. Let no one boast in them. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours, and you are Christ, and Christ is God's. Paul says, don't deceive yourself. Don't cheat yourself. If you think you are wise and all-knowing, humble thyself, right? Humble yourself so that you can be elevated by the Lord. I, you've heard me say it before. I'll say it again. It's our job to humble ourselves. It's God's job to elevate us. The moment we do His job, He will most certainly do it. He says, humble yourself. For the wisdom of this world is fallen. Right? Compared to God's wisdom, our worldly wisdom is nothing. This is a theme we've seen throughout these opening chapters of this book. He's trying to humble the church in Corinth. And then he actually quotes uh, Job here. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. That's an interesting verse. God catches the wise in their craftiness. It makes me think of uh, it makes me think about like a magician, right? Some of you are thinking, Jordan, is that a deck of cards on the platform? I, uh -huh. I, I used to be in student ministry and I used to go uh, during student ministry, I used to be uh, I used to go to preteen camp with the middle schoolers who would eventually be in my youth ministry to kind of help build a relationship with them, right? And I would, uh, some of you are thinking, Jordan, you're too good with the deck of cards, right? <laughs> Pray for your pastor, right? No. But I used to go to preteen camp and try to build a relationship with these students before they came into my student ministry. And uh, I would always do this trick with them. And it only really worked with the middle school kids. It wouldn't really work with my high school boys and girls. And so I'd always take a card, a, a deck of cards, and kind of do my own, like, no one little trick, and it's nothing serious. But I would say, all right, this is your card, all right? For those of you in the back, this is a three of diamonds, all right? I'm going to shuffle this, this, this deck. And it's going to magically appear at the top. All right? So I'm shuffling it. I'm shuffling it. I'm shuffling it. All right? At the count of three, it's going to appear at the top of the deck. One, two, 
breathing. And, you know, middle school kids are like, oh my gosh, what just happened? You're a wizard, Jordan, right? But every now and then, every now and then there was one, like a kid that was too cool for school, you know, he was like smarter than, he or she was smarter than the rest. More often than not, it was a girl, you know, guys, we, we take a little bit longer to mature, but she'd watch me shuffle, and some of you may be in the front here noticing how I'm shuffling, right? I'm never keeping, I'm, I'm keeping that front card on top, so it never leaves the top. But from my, from this angle, you don't know. All you see is just me shuffling. You see me take the bottom of it. And she would catch it. And she, she said, Jordan, that card never left the top. You're not shuffling it right. And I, I feel dumb, right? Because <laughs> I just got found out by a middle school kid. Paul says he catches the wise in their craftiness. We get found out. God is so much wiser than we can ever be. Then he quotes Psalm 94. The Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, and they are futile. It's interesting that the word for thought in the Hebrew is actually a word that can also mean breath. So he says, essentially, the Lord knows the thoughts or the breaths of the wise, that they are futile, that is, pointless, worthless, and vain. Think about in the mornings when it's cold and you walk out, right? And you breathe, and you can see your breath, but as quickly as you see your breath, it disappears. Paul says, let no man boast in men. He's essentially saying, guys, get these men, Apollos and I. We're, we just water, we just plant, we're just labor. Or nothing. He says, so let no one all things are yours. Where Paul or Paulo or Cephas, he brings uh, Peter into this thing. Or the world or life or death or the present or the future. Anything. All is yours. The church. And you, the church, are Christ. And Christ is God's. I want to highlight just three, three things this morning before we close. I've taken from this text, the one thing we see, church, is that there's value in corporate worship. There's value in the local body, the local church. There is value in that. And so if you're living outside of a spiritual community, if you're trying to do it on your own, you're doing it wrong. We are called to be in community, right? In Genesis it says, it is not good for man to be alone. There is value in the local church. We see that value by the fact that 
Jesus or that Paul says if anybody tries to corrupt the church, they will be destroyed. So start valuing the body. Start valuing each other. Start valuing the time to come together to be sharpened by one another, to grow from one another, to learn from one another. I we have a lot of seniors in our church, right? And the one thing I hear, especially the ones that don't get the opportunity to come to church as often as they used to, the one thing I always hear is, man, I really miss coming to church. There's going to come a time when you're like, man, I wish I would have been more involved. Number two, everybody has a job. It matters what you do now. Again, I think somebody has been spoon-fed. Some of us have been spoon-fed this lie to believe that that once we get our ticket, that's it. All jobs are important. We're called to obey and to follow Christ the rest of our days. So, what are you doing today? Some of us, some of us like Paul, some of us are planters. We're establishers. We're we 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 get things going. A lot of times, those type of people don't really do a good job of finishing or following through, right? We know some of those people, but that's their job. They're good at their job. Others of us, they're waterers, right? Like you're, you're good at making things or helping things grow. Some of us, you lay fertilizer. Maybe some of us are fertilizer, right? That sounded worse than it. Than I, I meant it in a good way. <laughs> What'd you call me? <laughs> Fertilizer makes things grow, right? Some of us are good at making things grow. That's what I mean. Right? I'm get some emails, right? <laughs> what are you doing? You need a job. God has given you gifts and abilities and skills and, and, and life experiences to use, to help establish, to help build up this church. And the third point is not really a point, it's just really a question that I want you to really reflect on. What kind of structure are you building upon this foundation of Christ? What kind of materials are you using? Are you building something that lasts? Or are you kind of just winging it? You know, churches, I think we're infamous for winging things or having things that aren't as good of quality as other things. We just show up and, and go. One thing I really am trying to establish here is a, a culture of excellence in everything that we do. I'm not saying perfection, because things happen, right? We're, we're imperfect people living in an imperfect world, but when I say excellence, I mean the best of our ability, right? Like, you know that old saying, you do your best and God will do the rest, right? And as cliche as that sounds, there's, that's true. So maybe for some of us, the structure we're building is maybe we're kind of building with straw or hay or sticks. And when that day comes, 
those things are going to be burned up. What type of materials are you using? Are you striving for excellence? Are you trying to give everything to the church, to the Lord? Or are you just winging it? Maybe some of us, maybe you just need a good kick in the rear. Others of us, maybe you need to take a break. You need to rest. Rest is important. Some of us, you maybe need to just rediscover that joy of why you're doing what you're doing. And others of us, maybe you need to stop taking somebody else's job. Now, I hope you hear my heart, church. I'm not trying to get on to you. I want to encourage you. I want the best for you and for us as a body. There's value here. There's value in this meeting place, in this building, amongst these people and these relationships. I want us to build a beautiful structure on the foundation of Christ. A, a structure that will last the, the, the test of times. A structure for the community that they know that this is a safe place. That this is, this is a place for them for years to come. But that only will happen if we start using the right materials. If we start having the right heart. If we understand the true value of what it means to come to church. To be. I think we use that language a lot. Probably unintentionally. But I think the true 